Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, November 29th. We begin with a discussion surrounding the new COVID-19 variant, which has been named Omicron. We speak with Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, family doctor and vaccine researcher, for details on what's known about the new strain. Next, we continue our series on supply chain issues. We catch up with Erica Alini, online journalist with Global News, for a look at the current inventory model used by retailers and why many industry leaders are calling for a reboot of the system to help prevent supply issues in the future. Then it's another edition of Motivational Monday, our weekly segment aimed at helping you reach your goals and live your best life. This time out, we speak with Angie Payne, a counseling therapist who uses horses to help people heal from past trauma. And finally, it's being called a breakthrough for those who live with cystic fibrosis in Canada. We meet Melissa Snowden, who's been living with CF her whole life. Melissa shares her personal story and the success she's had using the newest drug in the fight against cystic fibrosis called Trikafta. The World Health Organization has dubbed the new variant of concern Omicron. With a look at what it means for you and the steps that are being taken, we are joined by Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, family doctor, vaccine researcher, and founder of Prime Health Research. Good morning to you, Dr. Gorfinkel. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Now, Omicron, uh, we're uh, learning that it was first detected in South Africa, but do we know if that's where it originated? Yeah, let's take that apart. It probably did not originate there, but they get all the flack for having identified it. That's basically what's going on. It's like many of the variants. We don't know exactly where they originate, but they get named after the, where the scientists are. We happen to name it out, and they happen to be in South Africa at the time. What's the negative or drawback, then, of us just making an assumption like this, or does it matter? It matters a lot, because you take a look at Africans' challenge. You, don't, you hear a lot of the bandying about saying, we just have to give them, a, give them the vaccine. Do you realize South Africa is sitting on, I'm not joking, five months worth of vaccines? Oh, really? So why can't they give them up? Yeah, they actually have five months of vaccines in storage because they're dealing with all kinds of other challenges. It's more complicated. They got dilapidated health systems. They lack the qualified personnel that can give the vaccines. In fact, even the cold storage is a major problem. And the supply chains, you know, these are the kind of issues they're dealing with. And in many African countries, there's significant vaccine hesitancy. Thanks for clearing that up, Dr. Mm Corfinkel, because Sue and I were talking off mic about that. Like, why don't we just really hammer away at vaccines? But to hear that they have that and there's been issues getting it to the people, that that is huge. Thank you so much. Let's let's talk about when you talk about a new variant, what do we know about uh, transmissivity and uh, vaccine resistance to this new variant? What's uh, the knowledge we have? So the knowledge we have is really limited at the moment. So this variant, it it basically came out of nowhere. It was only identified for the first time three weeks ago. And what happened? In the space of one week, cases went up over 600%. That's in the space of one week. So that caught everybody's attention. Now, South Africa's numbers are still, they're actually fairly low in the scheme of things. But the fact that it went up so quickly... And think about this. It's now been identified in 12 countries. Canada, just yesterday, they found two cases Mm -hmm. in Ottawa. It's probably all over. This is the canary in the coal mine. 
So if the problem is not that they don't have the vaccines, it's getting the vaccines and the correct information to the people. Is that something that other countries, Canada, for example, could we be sending in the Red Cross to to get the vaccine, the jab to people and, and to educate them about why they need to get the vaccination? This is precisely the crux of what's genuinely needed. And I think there's a misunderstanding that, oh, you just send the vaccines and they're flying. Actually, that's incorrect. They need the personnel. They need these these things. You know, so coming back to your question, well, all we know at this point is that it's super transmissible. You know, it's kind of like Delta on steroids. That's what we think right now. But what about, you know, how effective our vaccines will be? Big question mark. We, we can't know the answer to that question. What about how sick it makes people? Does it make people more likely to wind up in a hospital? We don't even know that. How effective will our treatments be? No idea. Basically, we think the vaccines are probably going to be effective, at least to some degree, because it is still a novel coronavirus. But don't forget, like this, this Omicron, it's got, I'm not joking, over 30 mutations on that spike protein. And that, just to remind you, that spike protein, that's the key that the, that the virus uses to make its way into our cells. So if that key has really changed a lot, well, that's the mRNA. That's where it's aimed at, at that spike protein. So if that spike protein changed a lot, it makes sense that we'll see again that our vaccine efficacy is whittled away a little bit. That's my guess. It probably will be effective, but probably not to the degree that we're used to seeing. From a medical t- uh, standpoint, Dr. Gorfinkel we, talk li- Gorfinkel, we talk a lot about, you know, the masks and the vaccines. I'm wondering how important, when we're hearing these other countries like Japan completely locking down international travel, if you're saying that, you know, it's a canary in the coal mine, we've known about this thing for three weeks, we have a couple cases in Canada, it's probably already here more than we think. How important would it be at this point to really shut down and clamp down the borders for all international travel in our country? Yeah, it's, it's still an important factor. Because we know, yeah, we know it's going gonna, it's gonna to get here. And it's going to get here possibly in space, but we can't be sure about that. But the fact is, you've you got to buy yourself a little bit of time. Because two to three weeks from now, the, uh, the knowledge we have will be far greater. So the kind of questions, we'll be able to break down the information. You know, what are the, what's happening in South Africa? Let's look at the, some of that real-world data. How many of those are being, who are hospitalized were vaccinated with which shot, you know, because they're, they're basically using four shots in, in South Africa. They've got the J&J going, they've got the Sinovac going, they've got AstraZeneca, and they've got Pfizer. So they'll be able to break down the data. We'll, we'll, we'll just have more information. That's basically what it's buying us. You know, yes, it's here, but it's not here in the kind of numbers that it could be here, but if we just left our borders open. And my heart goes out to South Africa because really it just... It, you know, you, you, they're reeling economically. Mm-hmm. They really rely on those tourist dollars. And yet, I, I don't know another solution around it. I feel like we'll be chucking in, uh, checking in again and talking to you more about Omicron as we go down this road. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate it, Doctor. Well, thank you so much for having me. All the best. You too. Thank you so much, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, family doctor, vaccine researcher, founder of Prime Health Research. We've been looking at issues impacting the supply chain over the past month. This morning, we're looking at how we can rethink the just-in-time inventory model and what can be done to combat short supply issues. Joining us this morning, Erica Alini, online journalist with Global News. Good morning, Erica. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's start with what exactly is the just-in-time inventory model. 
So it's a it's a model of supply chain manage- management that has become uh, has been very popular um, for the past several decades, um, and we really started sort of copying this from Japan. Toyota was really um, the company that is thought of as a, a spearheading um, this model. And the idea is you don't need to have a, a lot of inventory; it, it costs a lot. Um, to have a lot of parts and components stocked up in, in warehouses. Um, you can rely on um, you know, efficient, lean supply chains for the parts that you need to get there uh, pretty much just in time when you need them. This has become sort of a mantra uh, for both manufacturers and retailers around the world. Companies don't have to spend dollars ahead and have inventory collecting dust in a huge warehouse and tie up those dollars. Um, so it has been working, not having, uh, you know, the, you know, this huge stock and doing the just in time. So what can be done to combat the short supply issues to prevent further kinks in the supply line now? Because that, that model has been kind of turned on its head. Yes. And so what, you, what you're seeing now is uh, sort of corporate enthusiasm for the just in time model is a little... Uh, you know, the pandemic has curbed that enthusiasm and companies are starting to think that maybe they need a little bit more inventory uh, than, than they used to carry, even if it's expensive. Um, so we're, we're, we heard um, from a, a KPMG uh, consultant who specializes in supply chains. He was talking about having sort of a, a safety stock uh, so that, you know, you're OK, even if there are significant delays. Um, however, you know, for technology, especially uh, if, you, uh, if you're dealing with technology, one of the issues is that uh, it changes so quickly um, that you, you can't stock up on, on everything because um, probably those stocks are going to become outdated, um, possibly before you even need the parts. Erica, tough answer, I'm sure, to give. But, you know, as we talk about this and supply chain issues, and does it ever really go away from now moving forward? But what can we do? Is there anything to create a system that's less fragile? So we, beyond the sort of um, bulking up your, your inventories, two interesting approaches that uh, we saw in our reporting are one uh, sort of... Um, dialing back a little bit sort of uh, the sprawling supply chain and looking for more suppliers closer to home. So we um, uh, spoke to a packaging company here in Toronto that's uh, been doing this. Uh, They had been outsourcing um, all of their manufacturing to the countries along the Pacific Rim. And now they said, you know, we really um, had to rethink that. And uh, we're relying much more on suppliers here in Canada and in North America in general in the U.S. Um, and this is certainly something that we've seen reported of a few other companies doing. Another really interesting uh, thing to keep an eye on is uh, blockchain. Um, so that's basically uh, blockchain is the um, technology that underpins cryptocurrencies, but um, the applications are go far beyond cryptocurrencies. And it's basically the ability to create a, a database that's very hard to tamper with. And so that comes in really handy when you're dealing with supply chain management because it allows you to track the movement of things, um, you know, in a really reliable uh, way. So, but finding the, the sweet spot between having the right amount of in, inventory to feed the supply chain, regardless of industry, if you can talk about just the importance of how quickly a lot of these companies make this shift in order to survive. Could, could we see some companies going under who don't have the formula right for these changing times? 
Uh, yeah, it's it's possible. Uh, and so, for example, um, you know, just just talking about uh, blockchain, we've seen, uh, we've heard uh, from a Toronto tech company uh, that uh, set up a, a blockchain system for Walmart Canada um, just before the pandemic. They were going to do this anyways, and it seems like. Um, it really uh, it solved a lot of logistical issues uh, for Walmart, um, and that just came in so handy during the pandemic um, to not have to deal with those uh, run-of-the-mill complications that come uh, with uh, managing complex supply chains. So that sounds like really good, but on the other hand, we're hearing um, from, from consultants that uh, setting up uh, the blockchain, uh, there are costs involved, and that, that might not work for smaller companies. Interesting discussion, one that is not going to come to an end soon. Thank you so much, Erica. I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Erica Alini is an online journalist with Global News. Very interesting to me in the sense that, you know, I, I can understand. You don't want to have that cash out in a warehouse. And have stuff just sitting there, right? You're paying for the warehouse. You're paying for employees to manage. You can afford that these yeah, days. and extra stock just sitting there. So it has changed completely. And whether or not it's the pandemic, I do like what Erica said. You know, more local suppliers, more local vendors that can Wouldn't help. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, and that's something we've obviously moved away from. Um, and this is the week, rather, with a Black, uh, Black Friday week that went on and now it's Cyber Monday, mm-hmm. and uh, you've got to have those deals. You've got to move the product, and these uh, companies need to, to make a dollar when they have not so much uh, compared to previous years in the past 24 months or so. It's been crazy. Yeah. Uh, which brings me to the next question, as far as the best deals you found during Black Friday week. Oh, did you and get anything good? You know what? Uh, my wife was asking me for some Christmas ideas, and I found a couple of things online that were incredibly, well, I thought cheap. Like thirty percent, forty percent off. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a watch. That's my good. Mind. It was going to be, I think, forty dollars for a watch that would have been ninety. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I, something that I underscored earlier: you have to know what you're getting, otherwise, it might not be such a deal. Yeah, that very true. Like you know, the buy one get one seems great. Yeah, but you're not really getting any deal. Yeah, and sometimes I always wonder: did they just bump the price up a little bit too, and give me a free one on the side? I don't know. I, I always wonder about it. We we got some great deals um, on sheets. Oh, okay. Through Black Friday, so okay. that was kind of you know some kind of some of the basics have been good. And the, the yeah, but you know, and if you need it, then it is a deal. If it's something more frivolous, mm-hmm. then are you getting a deal? This uh, texture didn't leave a name. Said an example of a Black Friday scam. I'm not sure if it's a scam, but you again, you have to be in the know. Uh, local uh, company. I'm not sure if they're local, but a tea company. Uh, this uh, texture says bought three matcha teas for uh, three weeks ago for twenty nine dollars. Okay. On their Black Friday, thirty to fifty percent off of it. It was thirty nine dollars with mm. discount. It came to twenty seven fifty. See, that's a hard pass. So, in other words, he was going to save a dollar fifty compared to three weeks ago. You know, and I, I get it's been a tough couple of years, right? And businesses, economists told us the sales wouldn't be as great, perhaps, as they have in years past because uh, people have uh, businesses have lost so much money over the past couple of years that we might not get the deep discounts. But that's a little bit. That's hinky to me. Save a dollar fifty, you can maybe buy a Timmy's coffee with the <laughs> after I boosted the price. You, now yeah. I'm going to give you a sale. Absolutely, thanks. And it is Motivational Monday, a day we set you up with some motivation to get you through the day, the week, and beyond. Joining us this morning is Angie Payne, counseling therapist, equine gestalt coach, and founder of Equine Enrichment. Good morning, Angie. Thanks for being with us. 
Good morning, Sue. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for being up bright and early to get our <laughs> listeners all motivated and ready to go. Um, I love this because I, I know you're super passionate about what you do and your business is all about using horses to help people heal from past traumas. So can you tell us how that works? Um, well, I could probably spend a day telling you <laughs> what horses do, um, but essentially I partner with horses because they move in the world a little bit differently than we do. So because they're prey animals, they have to, you know, rely on all of their senses to um, keep themselves safe. So really what it is, is, you know, as humans, we're really good at putting something out into the world that isn't necessarily how we're really feeling on the inside. And a lot of times it's not safe to be, you know, yeah, I feel like crap today. Um, but for horses, when that's not congruent, they have a really hard time connecting. And so um, that sets me up to be able to ask some different questions of my client to be able to get them to that place of truth essentially really that's where the healing happens is going to those really hard places of truth that you know maybe somebody hasn't even visited for a very long time and um yeah that's really where magic happens the horse can connect um they're able to point out you know the different places in our body where trauma is stuck so trauma happens in the body it has to be healed through the body and that's why horses um just bring a little bit extra to the session it's um Fascinating. it's interesting because people just feel safe with them it's interesting to me cuz you know uh, Angie who has experience uh, you know with horses when it comes to this type of a, a an interaction if you will because to mm-hmm. me they seem so silent they seem so um like I, I don't understand horses i didn't spend time around them growing up uh, right. but i i'm guessing that you have to know a horse to understand you know how it can help somebody out so let's talk about that relationship and how you get to know a horse well i've had um the horse that i ride and partner with most of the time his name is romeo and he will turn 23 this year and he and i've been together 23 years so it's a relationship that is longer than some marriages right yeah (laughs) and so he knows me very well i know him very well and honestly andy he is not silent His communication can be very loud, and it was interesting because last weekend we had a group, and one of the ladies was, you know, like she just didn't know how it was going to work, what was going to happen. How would she know what the horse was telling her? And then when she got an opportunity to interact with the horse, she said it was very clear what the horse was trying to tell her. (laughs) It's fascinating. You know, and and, and we've got three tips for our listeners. So let's start with this is all inspiration and wisdom taught to you by the horses that you're now going to share (laughs) and, and sort of make it more, you know, accessible for all of us, whether we're dealing or interacting with a horse or not. There, there's so much wisdom that you're able to share. So let's start with tip number you bet. one. So um, time and time again, uh, the work that I do is really about finding compassion for ourselves. And so what I find that horses do is help people access, you know, that one really unique, special gift that we all hold. We all have that unique gift. They help people access that and then... What I do is help them to take that out into the world and share it. Let's talk about number two, which is interesting to me when you talk about you you can communicate with these horses. 
mm-hmm. but number two is the importance of communication within a relationship. How mm-hmm. could how can a horse underscore that? Because horses communicate with each other clearly and concisely and quickly, it's like boom, boom, done. And the next thing you know, they're eating pay together. So it's never about um, communicating in a way that um, causes the relationship to break down. It's actually to cause the relationship to become deeper. So what I've learned is to communicate my truth. Um, clearly, concisely, and without emotion. And then the hard part is not holding attachment to what the other person might think about the communication. But really, if it's done with love and compassion, um, then there's a desire to have a deep, deeper relationship. Mm-hmm. So that that was a really big one for me. Communication. And, That's a tough one. And I'm glad horses are better at it than we are. We need to work much on that. better. <laughs> and we don't really communicate until no. we're all emotional about things. It's so true until we're either right? angry or excited. Yeah, yeah you're right. Instead and then, of, then there's all defense and all of this other stuff gets in the way of having a really beautiful, deep conversation. That's very fair. Okay, let's talk about your third tip. Horses have taught you what? Um. Well, they've taught me that every single person on this planet is completely and fully enough and deserve it just the way we are. So there are days where, you know, I feel like I'm just rocking life and uh, that makes me and causes me to feel fully enough. And then there's also days where, you know, I end up in my pajamas all day and one of the things that horses have taught me is that is also fully enough. We, we can only be who we are. We don't really have anything else to offer, and that has to be enough. Angie, what type of person can benefit from, from this very unique type of therapy? So I work with a lot of people that have had pretty significant trauma in their life. And honestly, we find people coming into the barn, and it seems like this is something that people say over and over again. I've tried everything. And I just don't know where else to turn. And so they turn to a horse. And, um, you know, we've, we've heard some beautiful stories about how one or two or three sessions have re- really changed the course of their life. Horses say things to people that if I said it or did it, I'd probably send them running for the hills. <laughs> but uh, somehow horses are able to get away with it. They speak clearly. Um, sometimes things you don't want to hear, but you have to hear. Fascinating. And, and so, yeah, people just get so much out of it. So really anybody that I guess is struggling, but trying to heal through trauma or tried other things and maybe something different might be um, the thing that helps them. Big, beautiful, and very intuitive animals. <laughs> very yeah. intuitive. Thank yeah. you so much for joining us, Angie. Appreciate You're your time. Welcome. We'll send, Thank you so much. We'll send folks to your website, equineenrichment.com. Angie Payne is a counseling therapist, equine gestalt coach, and founder of Equine Enrichment. now and cystic fibrosis is a rare disease that affects roughly 42,000 Canadians. Now a new drug approved by Health Canada is set to change the lives of those living with the disease. Melissa Snowden lives with cystic fibrosis and joins us now. Good morning Melissa, thanks for being on the show this morning. Good morning guys, I'm very excited. Thank you for having me. Well we're thrilled to have you here. For, for folks who don't know, can you explain a little bit about what is cystic fibrosis and how it's impacted your life? 
Of course. So cystic fibrosis is a genetic um, disease. So both my parents have the recessive gene, and then it's a one in four chance of passing um, cystic fibrosis on to your children. Um, we like to say in my family that we got really lucky because my sister and I oh, wow. both have the disease. Um, what it does to the body specifically is we have a mutation on um, one of our genes that doesn't allow um, like salt to flow through our bodies properly. So. Uh, our mucus that we produce naturally, all of us do, we produce it in large quantities and it's very sticky, very thick and specifically affects the lungs, but over time can affect your digestive um, tract and gallbladder and liver and all of, and even like um, my uterus and all of that, like all your organs get full of mucus. So um, very hard to breathe, life quality goes down considerable amounts because there is no cure. So, um, you know, there's lots of us, our lifespan isn't very long, but it over time has improved because of, of drugs such as, as this one, Trikafta. Let's talk about Trikafta because that's a very important move. And I, I think in the world of of, of CF for those folks who have been living with it, like yourself, Melissa. Let's talk about the, the fact that it just rolled out and you've been using this drug for a little while now. Tell us about your experience and how long you've been on it. Sure. So um, it took a while. <laughs> it feels like it took forever. Uh, it was two years ago that, that the FDA and the states approved it. So we've been fighting long and hard in Canada to get it approved here. It was finally approved at the end of September. Um, and my journey felt like forever but realistically looking back now it, it happened very quickly um i actually have only been on for three weeks and um what it does specifically is it helps that protein that gene that we have um open the channels a little bit and allows the water and the salt to flow freely so if you picture like the border being clogged between the states and canada um, now there's a lane that opens up and everything can start moving. That's exactly what's happening. Um, and just in three weeks' time, oh, my God, <laughs> it's been crazy. I can breathe deeply. I hardly cough anymore. When I do cough, there's very minimal mucus coming out. The energy level I'm experiencing because now I can breathe is phenomenal. I think my husband feels like he's married to a new woman. <laughs> I can play. I have a 10-year-old son, and I'm running around the house playing with him and the dog. And my whole family tuckers up before I do. Like, they just sit back, and it's really emotional to watch. Um, my lung functions within the first week. I have a, a spirometry meter at home just to test them. And they went up uh, 10 Nope, sorry, they went up 15%. Wow, that's amazing. It, that really is life-changing for you then, isn't totally. it? Is, it? is this the first sort of real uh, positive development and treatment of CF then? It, it is. I mean, there's lots of medications that um, have rolled out over the years that have given us sustainability in our lives. But um, this one is the closest to a cure that we have seen in my in my lifetime it's very it's not a cure but it's very very like the next step the next thing that's going to roll out is probably 
that. Yeah. Awesome. And That's awesome. Fingers crossed. But in the meantime, yeah. what a success story, Melissa. We appreciate you sharing your personal story with us this morning. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. That is Melissa Snowden, lives with cystic fibrosis and telling us about her experience using the new drug, Tricaft. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.